Hello, in our first show of 2022, the fight goes on for oil-rich Marib in northern Yemen, and so does the struggle to help all those who've been repeatedly displaced by the conflict. We'll hear how UN migration agency IOM is doing everything it can in difficult and dangerous conditions. Journalists are under fire too, UNESCO tells us, while on the COVID frontline, the World Health Organization has just announced that for the moment at least, there's no particular risk associated with holding next month's Winter Games in Beijing. And after days of nationwide protest in Kazakhstan, UN Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet has issued a call for calm. That's all coming up in the next 15 minutes or so on UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson and Solange Bejatege-Cortez. Thanks for listening. First, the news. Amid reports of deadly violence linked to protests in Kazakhstan, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Michelle Bachelet has issued an appeal for security forces, demonstrators and others to refrain from violence. All those with grievances should seek a peaceful resolution to the emergency, Ms Bachelet said on Thursday evening. Her comments came after police in the city of Almaty said that security forces had killed dozens of protesters, while media reports also on Thursday described intense shooting between the military and armed individuals in front of Almaty City Hall. Almost 1,000 people have reportedly been injured in the protests, which began on the 2nd of January after fuel price hikes. In a statement, the UN rights chief said that international law was clear, people have the right to peaceful protest. But she added that no one, no matter how angry or aggrieved they may be, should resort to violence against others. According to the Kazakh authorities, 12 law enforcement officers have died in the unrest and more than 300 police officers and National Guard troops have been injured. The UN Health Agency said on Thursday that it sees no particular extra Covid risk associated with the upcoming Winter Games in China. At a scheduled press briefing in Geneva, the World Health Organization's Health Emergencies Executive Director, Dr Mike Ryan, said that he was confident that the measures put in place by Beijing were very strict and very strong. China has been experiencing some pretty large outbreaks of coronavirus or COVID-19 over the last number of weeks and uh, you'll see that the authorities in China are taking a, a very strong approach to dealing with those outbreaks. So we will continue to monitor the situation but certainly at this stage given the arrangements that have been put in place for, for the athletes and the, by the organisers uh, we don't perceive that there's any particular extra risk in, in, in hosting or, or running the games but, but obviously we will keep uh, all of the measures that are being put in place under constant review. Head of the UN Health Agency Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said that last week saw the highest number of COVID-19 cases reported so far in the pandemic, but that the true number was far higher. The WHO chief repeated his call for vaccine equity and noted that although the Omicron variant does appear to be less severe compared to Delta, especially in those vaccinated, it should not be categorised as mild. Just like previous variants, Omicron is hospitalising people and it is killing people. Tedros warned. 55 journalists and media professionals were killed last year, the UN said on Thursday, adding that nearly 9 in 10 killings since 2006 are still unresolved. Impunity is alarmingly widespread, said the UN Scientific, Education and Cultural Organization UNESCO. 
Although the number of victims is the lowest in a decade, UNESCO pointed to the many dangers that reporters face. These include high rates of imprisonment, physical attack, intimidation and harassment, including when covering protests. Two-thirds of the victims died in countries not in the grip of armed conflict, which the agency said highlighted the continued dangers faced by journalists in their daily reporting. Here's UNESCO's Claire O'Hagan. As our Director-General Audrey Azule said, once again in 2021, far too many journalists paid the ultimate price to bring truth to light. Right now, the world needs independent, factual information more than ever. We must do more to ensure that those who work tirelessly to provide this can do so without fear. Most deaths took place in just two regions, Asia-Pacific with 23 killings and Latin America and the Caribbean with 14. The headlines there. And now to this week's interview with Krista Rottensteiner, who's Chief of Mission for UN Migration Agency IOM in Yemen. The agency is at the sharp end of the country's bitter conflict that has seen the government pushed out of the capital Sana by mainly Houthi opposition forces. Oil-rich Marib governorate is the government's last stronghold in the north of Yemen, but it has become the focus of deadly fighting and aerial attacks. So let's hear from Krista now, who describes how these armed clashes have had a catastrophic impact on communities, driving displacement and humanitarian needs at an unprecedented rate. I've been working in Yemen for over two years now, and I have to say I've never seen the situation as desperate as it is now especially in Marib governorate. And this is why IOM wanted to sound the alarm about the worsening humanitarian situation. What we're seeing on the ground is that there is continued fighting. Since September, particularly, we've seen waves of displacement arrive in the city. And it's important to remember that Marib is a place where about a million of people have found refuge during the last six years of conflict. So they arrived there because there is more stability. And that already has put an enormous pressure on the services of this city, which was only built for a few hundred thousand. But now with this increasing numbers of displaced people, this is making the situation even more difficult. And just to get an idea, there are, what, more than 60 sites for displaced people that the IOM, the UN Migration Agency, looks after. So that gives you an idea of the scale, doesn't it? Indeed, the scale is enormous. We estimate that there is now 137 sites. But as you say, we cannot reach all of them. IOM is working in over 60 of them. But it is a very difficult situation. And we've seen a tenfold increase of the numbers that arrive in these sites. So people are lacking the absolute basics. I've just come back from Marib and I was really shocked to see the situation there. I've spoken to mothers who have been displaced five times. So one particular woman really, you know, it was really sad to talk to her. She, she's a widow, she has four children, and it's now the fifth time that she's in a displacement site and she doesn't know whether she'll be able to stay there because of the conflict coming closer and closer to the city. So it's really these personal tragedies that affect us. IOM is doing its best to help. We reach over 200,000 people in Marib, or have reached already, but there is so much more. There are so many people who we cannot help even with the most basics. We support with food, with water, with shelter, and we also provide healthcare, particularly with the mobile teams. But it is very difficult and it's also very dangerous helping people who live quite close to the front line. I'm sure it is. And there are reports that there are attacks, daily attacks from the West, the North 
and the South. So how can your humanitarian teams actually get in and ensure their safety before they can help others? Yes, the situation is, 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 is dangerous. We obviously need to keep our staff safe. They try to reach as close to the front line as they can whilst remaining safe. So there are quite a number of sites now that we cannot reach anymore. Uh, some of them had to be abandoned. And that also makes it very difficult for us as humanitarians to find more sustainable solutions because ideally we don't want to just provide water trucking in a site. We want to establish a functioning water system, but that's very difficult when people have to flee many times and some of the camps have to be abandoned. Now you're the UN Migration Agency, so maybe you could tell us about the migration movement through Yemen, which seems incredible given that there is this conflict going on, this terrible conflict that's been going on for years. But there are many migrants still moving to the Gulf states. Do you have an idea of numbers still? Yes, indeed. It is surprising that there are still tens of thousands of migrants arriving. Before COVID, this was actually the world's busiest maritime route. So people coming from the Horn of Africa trying to reach Saudi Arabia for work. We had over 140,000 people coming. Now, the numbers have dropped dramatically since COVID, about 80%, but we still see tens of thousands of migrants arriving. They're in the vast majority young Ethiopian men who are looking for jobs. And they often get stuck in Yemen and they're particularly vulnerable. So even though Yemenis are very generous, it's still overwhelming the services. And because they don't speak the language, they find it very difficult to make a living. So we estimate that over 30,000 people at least are stuck in Yemen. And as IOM, we provide them with minimal support to ensure their survival, with healthcare, with food. And when it is possible, we also try to support them to return home if that's feasible. And we're particularly concerned about women to whom we have very little access because they're often in the hands of the smugglers, very reliant on them for their onward movement and they're very much controlled and often there is extortion and exploitation. Yes, it's a terrible situation. It's been described as the world's largest humanitarian crisis. So how much funding does the UN Migration Agency, IOM, actually need for the coming months? Yeah, as you say, this is the largest humanitarian crisis. We have two-thirds of the population in need, so that's 20 million people, and four million of them have been displaced, so they're particularly vulnerable, as I described in, in, in Marib, for example. We have only received 50% of the funding needs, so every year the United Nations makes a funding appeal and we've only received half of that. So this is, makes it very hard to respond to even the most basic needs of the population. Same for IOM. We have asked for 170 million and we've only received half of that. So it makes it very difficult to support the poorest and those who are in greatest needs. Finally, maybe we could just go back quickly to the sustainable solutions for people's daily needs. If you could give us an idea about how you manage, how the UN Migration Agency manages to help them with the technology, for example, that would be good to know. IOM is working increasingly to try to look at sustainable solutions because there are areas in Yemen where there is more stability. So we try to repair infrastructure as much as we can, schools, hospitals, and also doing this in a very conflict sensitive way. So for example, if we know that there is a conflict over a water source in a community, we try to bring the communities together, also empowering women in this process try to get them together to agree on a way forward and also to repair the infrastructure. So in that way, we don't only improve what's there for the community 
in a longer term, but also trying to resolve local conflicts because they can blow up and they can create more difficulties. And we're also looking at solar technology because this is clearly in, in, in a country with a lot of sunshine um, is bringing solutions rather than using diesel. So wherever we can, we install solar panels so that in displaced camps, people can have the electricity that's needed in an ecological way. My thanks then to Krista Rottensteiner for joining us on the show. Her team told me that in December alone, missiles landed in three displacement sites hosting 566 households, leaving four children and one woman injured by shrapnel. Not good. Now, let me turn to our regular guest, Solange Bertegui Cortez, who's with us again for her personal take on all this. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. A word comes to mind. Flow. Flow of images, words, human flows, financial flows, migratory flows, a bad flow. As we heard, Yemen is one of the largest humanitarian crises and yet one of the worst places in the world to be a woman. We recently asked here on UN Kachap what happened on Yemen? Where are the fantastic stories imagined centuries ago? Today, Yemen is inhabited by the new queens of Sheba. And they really aren't legendary, Daniel. The new queens of Sheba are refugees. They are fleeing war, hunger and violence. In a way, we are all migrants. I myself come from Bolivia, but migrant is a word that has several meanings, depending on the person who carries it. Migrants do not all have the same possibilities. Someone who's forced to migrate has lost the liberty. There is a writer who I love so much. His name is Amin Malouf. And in his book, Le Naufrage des Civilisations, he quoted a Spanish-Algerian writer, Omaya in Abisalt al-Andalusi, who said, If I am made of clay, the whole earth is my country, and all creatures are my kin. We have to turn the bad flow into a good one, a flow of solidarity. As the Secretary General Antonio Guterres said on the occasion of the International Migrants Day, solidarity with migrants has never been more urgent. Thank you very much indeed, Solange. It has been a busy show, so it's time to wrap this up. Thank you, listeners. We will be back next week with more UN stories from around the world. Do join us if you can. But until then, don't forget to check out UN News for daily stories and bulletins. Bye-bye for now.